Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Ramil. And this week we're going to get into episode three, The Betrayal. There's lots of betrayal. There's one big one. One big, big one. And uh, that is uh, episode three of The Stand from 1994. Before we get into it, how was your week? My week was extremely busy. Mm, there was a lot of writing and a lot of work and a lot of adventures in the middle of the night that I can't go into. You did have adventures in the middle of the night, and I didn't even know about it until I woke up the next Not day. Not the kind of fun adventures you want to have in the middle of the night. <laughs> These were just escapades, frankly. But but, um, but I survived. Shenanigans. I survived. Well, that's good. <laughs> How was your week? My week was good. I didn't get enough written. Hello, NaNoWriMo. So how's, how's NaNoWriMo working for you? Because I'm, as a person who writes very slowly, I'm curious how you get so much done. Um, You don't edit. Okay. You see the mistakes, and then you make a note of the mistakes, and then you leave the mistakes on the page. It's very difficult. Uh, I do do a lot of self-editing before I even put anything on the page, mm-hmm. uh, and I do edit more on the page than I should, which is why some days I do not right. get as many words as I would like. Uh, I am grateful to the program Scrivener, which is now adjusting my daily word count based on how many words I have to complete by the end of the month, uh, which is a nice little piece of math that I don't have to do but can always check on. So, are you ahead or behind? Oh, I'm behind. Hi, I'm behind. How I'm, behind? I am... About four thousand words behind. I don't. I don't know how to write like that. I really wish I did. I wish I could just um, work and not look behind me. But even by the time, I, I mean, I can spend ten minutes or twenty minutes on a, a paragraph, and then yes. go back and touch that paragraph and go, no. I yes, can also do that. No, but yes. no, I can't this month. I cannot do that this month. This might be maybe next year a good exercise for you to it try. It might be, yeah. It, it's I'm right now on helping. a fresh thing that you haven't been working on to give yeah. yourself, yeah. Scrivener also allowed me to basically, hey everyone, it's Nanorimo Corner, uh, to basically make a bunch of separate documents that uh-huh. I could put in order of the story beats for a romance novel, right. and so I don't have to write from beginning to end. I can be like, hey, I want to write this right now. Or I know how that scene's going to go, and I can just write it where it goes uh-huh. without having to figure out how how to bridge where I last was to where I am now. So that's been helpful as well. I don't have to. I've been bouncing around the writing. It's going to be the th- the thing that I will likely, that will likely happen at the end of this is... I will have finished 50,000 words. Mm-hmm. The book that I'm writing is going to probably be 80,000, maybe more. Wow. So I won't be done with the whole book. But I could be wrong. But that's how I feel right now. Because I don't feel like I've written over a quarter of it. But maybe I have. Maybe I'm wrong. It's it's hard to write. And my problem with longer-term projects is I feel like I, I'm losing a grip on what I want to do. Yeah. That's one of the other reasons that I like this program is because you can see an outline uh-huh. that you sort of already put together and you're like, oh, here's what I've filled in of the outline and here's what's left. Uh-huh. So 
I don't know. I'm enjoying it. That might be a program I might want to consider also at some point. I recommend it so far. I do wish I had known I could have gotten a discount on it just for doing Uh, NaNoWriMo, but I found out three minutes after I bought it, not three minutes before. See, what I'm enjoying right now is I'm helping a person work on their television project, and and more on that, what I'm a little more sure about what I'm doing, but there's these half-hour scripts. Yeah. And so I'm just like six beats, five pages a piece, and I'm out. And the problem is how you communicate things with a large cast of characters in that short period of time. Mm -hmm. So then every word becomes precious. And and so it's hard also. And then it happens in casting, which is like what we were talking about the first episode of this show, where it was like, oh, it's that guy who always plays that guy. Right, and that's a shorthand. So that we as the audience went, okay, I know who this is. Yeah, and that works. And I think that that actually works even better as time goes by and people become less familiar with that actor for that part, you know? Like, um, we've discussed about the performance of, and his name escapes me just now, uh, Tom Cullen. Bill Fagobacki. Okay, so people who didn't watch him playing Dauber in future generations are going to think what a great untrammeled ground he's done. He's doing this kind of this part yeah, before. Yeah. And I think they cast him for doing that part. Oh, before. probably. I've got to think that it helped. Yeah. And and so, yeah, Jamie Sheridan did not do this before. So this is kind of a revelation with him. Laura San Giacomo had just done the, uh, the sexy sister in Sex, Lies, and Videotape and had that falling behind her. So some of these actors had to push from other parts of their career and some of them didn't. And so, yeah, you'd be familiar seeing her play the nymphette. You'd see. I would not. I was yeah, not. Yeah, you were not. So, <laughs> so it's sort of out of context. Because for you. if you were young enough, I didn't see sex. I've still never seen Sex Lives on Videotape, but certainly at the age of 14, I wasn't watching that. But I think that some of the actors had that following them and they were able to, to cash in on that. The same thing that we saw when we were watching Salem's Lot. A lot of these were character actors who had been doing right. the town drunk or right. the town doctor or the Which town is, sheriff for 20 yeah, years. Yeah, I, I don't think it happens so much in this movie with the main characters. I think it happens yeah, with the, the supporting, cast. supporting cast that only gets mm-hmm. three minutes of screen time. Right. And we need to have a lot conveyed in, conveyed in those three minutes. You ready to get into um, this? Absolutely ready. The Betrayal. Uh, oh, Hey, everyone, we ordered the DVD set of this, and apparently disc two didn't arrive, or you lost it. It's unclear. I think it didn't arrive, but uh, I don't think I would have taken it out of the cassette. I mean, the uh, cassette. I'm old. Yes. I wouldn't have taken it out of the... Um, the sleeve, yeah. Yes. Uh, so we watched this on YouTube with... Was it Hebrew? I have no idea what these subtitles were. There's, There were subtitles that were not English, and not the Roman alphabet. Yeah. I thought Arabic at first, but I think Hebrew now that I'm thinking more about it. But hi, I don't know Maybe either of those. those so uh, it was pretty, but it wasn't the subtitles I needed. So it was tricky to hear this mm-hmm. segment. And we'll be watching section four in the same format, unfortunately. Right. So if I miss things, that's why. It's because my sad hard of hearing self. Couldn't get the uh, captioning help I needed. YouTube is wonderful, but the sound levels are always yeah, they're all over the place. And up. in a lot of places, I think we just lost sound entirely because mm-hmm. things were 
the songs yeah there, were that was trademarked. something that we we were discussing there's a scene where he's rocking out to a song and him and Nadine are having this argument over it and whatever it just looked weird because yeah and then fighting. he goes and turns up the radio and we hear nothing, nothing. absolutely nothing so. and I'm like what's that but then right. I realized oh it's likely that they lost you know they it got flagged for music rights mm-hmm. on YouTube and so they just took it out so we probably wouldn't have gotten it's too fast Jesus. uh we probably wouldn't have gotten don't fear the reaper or don't dream it's over right all these songs are telling us what not to do yeah i know judgmental not just just bossy yeah bossy bossy songs what did i tell you about the reaper don't fear him don't, don't do it i'm talking to you all right so we open in a pool, in an indoor pool, because apparently that's the light that they needed, the light source inside the pool. And Stu is performing surgery. Is Stu a doctor? Nope. (laughs) Uh, Dana tells him to stop, and he's like, I'm almost at the appendix, and Dana's like, doesn't matter, because this dude is deceased. His name was Mark. We did not know him at all. We have not seen this person before, and now he is a corpse. They bury the body, and Judge Ferris speaks over the grave. We haven't really met Judge Ferris before. We just know that he is a judge, and he is going to speak over the grave. He is played by... Ozzy Davis. Who is? The husband of Ruby D. And looks... 20 to 40 years younger than Ruby D. does in this movie. there's a reason for that. So we haven't really seen Dana either, who, by the way, is a dreamboat. <laughs> However, I think what it is, and this is the issue that I had when I mentioned it to you about the uh, the length of the miniseries, yeah. is that they're just suddenly characters yeah. who appear. Dana and Susan and, I've got to remember, Larry's woman. Mm-hmm. Those three are much bigger parts in the book. And get pretty short shrift in this. And it's not, I don't think, I, I don't. I think they wanted to give them bigger parts, but just in six hours right. and one minute did not have the time. Well, the judge and Dana are just there suddenly. Yeah. Like mushrooms Which, on lawn. I mean, that makes sense because they've yeah. been collecting But that's people. how we know that time has passed because there's just people mm-hmm. suddenly. Well, and, and they're in Ohio now. Right. And they were coming from Massachusetts and Vermont. So they've gotten a distance, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Glenn and Kojak, Harold and Susan, and Franny and Stu are all of the people that are there. Right. And Franny and Stu uh, are clearly getting closer and closer. Uh, then we have a another uh, title card that says that we're somewhere in Indiana, and I didn't catch where, because I think it was being covered by captioning that I couldn't right. read. And Harold is a grumpus, and he's working on his motorcycle. Glenn and the judge are going to go CD shopping, which is pretty funny. And Stu is out fishing, and Fran is looking forlornly into the distance. That is what she, her character, is doing. Just looking sad She's into mopey, the distance. Uh, they talk, uh, Franny ta- goes up to Stu, and they're talking about the dreams that they're having, and Stu says he was had dreams of barn beams in crosses with people hanging from them. And 
uh, he says, I don't, I'm seeing Mother Abigail, but she's not where she was. I think that they moved to Boulder. And Franny's like, oh yeah, they definitely did. So I don't know if Franny believes it more or is getting clearer access. It's unclear to me, but she seems like certain that mm-hmm. that is the case. Uh, Stu says, I can get, you know, we've got some sleeping pills if that will help. And Franny says, I can't. I'm afraid it'll hurt the baby. Look down at me. In shame. And, uh, Stu is like, goes to hug her. And he, she says she's due in January. And then I wrote, they look like they're going to kiss. And then I wrote, they kissed. (laughs) So that's like, I think the first time. That That's they, the first time they get romantic. They obviously yeah. have these moments of staring at each other longingly. Yes. Uh, and then Harold sneaks up on them and sees right. them keys facing. But we'll come back to him in a minute. He's going to be very important to this episode. Uh, Las Vegas. We're in Las Vegas, and there's a lot of bikers, and I said I was, did not like that they just presumed that so many bikers were evil, because the bikers that I know are very nice people. Uh, trash Can Man, Lloyd, and the Rat Man are all there, and the Rat Man wants to call Trash crazy, and Lloyd's like, uh, we're all crazy. <laughs> like, we're literally here. Because we had dreams about a demon, and we thought, this seems good. Let's just do what he says. So let's not put ourselves above this man. Uh, And then they give Trash some clothes to clean him up, and then Trash gets to go meet Randall Flagg. And this is like the first... This is the first episode where he plays a significant part. Yeah, because he, he was himself out of the dreams with Lloyd mm-hmm. at the end of the last episode. Right. Um, but this is more, there's more of him and Jamie, Jamie Sheridan generally in this episode. Right. And um, he hypnotizes Trash with Flame, which is unfair because he's uh, addicted. He's, yeah, yeah. I would say he acts like an addict around fire. He is a pyromaniac uh, in the most maniac sense of that word. He's, um, yeah, he's a hard character to feel sympathy with, though, because he's essentially just hyper-destructive and he's leaving this wake of destruction. Right, but it's also path. pretty clear that he doesn't understand consequences or or doesn't, like, doesn't grasp uh-huh. consequences. He just wants to see things burn. You know when they say some people want to watch the world burn? That's literally what right. Trash wants. Uh, and then he's flicking a, I think it's a Zippo, mm-hmm. and then he turns it into an onyx necklace with the hand magic. <laughs> I really <laughs> wish the special effects were either more careful or better, because it looks very much like something from an old episode of Lost in Space. Pop! Bing! turns yes. into something else. I'm like, oh, yeah. man. With like a weird lens flare that they right. definitely put in with After Effects. Yeah. It, it, uh... just, it looks really <laughs> cheap. Do you want to talk about Randall Flagg? No, we should talk about Randall Flagg. So I am unfamiliar with this character as existing in other parts of the King universe. Okay. I didn't know that he was in the Dark Tower. If 
if people, yes, let's be clear here. Uh, Randall Flagg uh, is both in, uh, explicitly and implicitly uh, defined uh, within the Dark Tower series as the Man in Black. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't know the Dark Tower series, um, but you have seen the movie, he's played by Matthew McConaughey in the movie. That doesn't really help you. Which is interesting because Matthew McConaughey was approached at one point to play Randall Flagg. Yeah. Uh, as, but he already did it. Do yes, that. he he did, which would be wonderful to make it consistent. He's just playing Randall Flag in all universes. And I will say this isn't a spoiler because it's the opening mm-hmm. of the book. <laughs> it's the opening of the series. Those books are okay. Let me talk about the Dark Tower really mm-hmm. quick. There are seven. There's a series of seven books. There's also. Uh, an eighth book, which is actually book four and a half. It be- it comes between book four and book five. All right. It's very interesting because the first book, The Gunslinger, takes almost no time at all to read. The co- I have the large format paperbacks that are illustrated of mm-hmm. all of them. They're all in the same format. Uh, it is by far the thinnest. It's about this thick. Okay. The font is about a 16 really? to fill it. It's... A very short book. It, I think the first time I read it, it took me an hour and a half. Like, it's very short. By the end of it, that font has shrunk way down and that thickness has gone way up. Right? right. <laughs> like, so, uh, and and it's... It's a... It's an epic mm-hmm. that spans universes, including ours, but not only ours. And it ties in at least 50% of Stephen King's universe okay. um, to it and explains sort of why there are links between other stories. Like right. in Dolores Claiborne, there's a part where she looks under the bed and sees a character from Rose Matter, and that is echoed in Rose Matter. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, yeah, like there's so, like so these... So even the more realistic books have... Yes, even the ones that are set solely in... Uh, here we go. The man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. That is... And a lot of them... He started writing The Gunslinger when he was a sophomore in college uh, and it didn't get published for 12 and a half years. And the line harkens back to the Robert Browning to- uh, poem that inspired Child, the thing. Child yeah. Roll into the Dark Tower came. Yes, which is a very creepy and disturbing poem. And this, these books have very creepy and disturbing things in them. There uh-huh. are monsters. Right. Legit, literal monsters. You know, I, I've always uh, felt that some of, or I'm not sure if he ever admitted to this, that some of the things described there have owe a lot to William Hope Hodgson. Oh, probably. And his book Nightland, which is about a person, a landscape where the sun has gone out. And the entire earth is inhabited by monsters except for one aluminum pyramid a mile tall where the last survivors of the human race live. And the monsters sit out there in the dark, beckoning people to come out so they can devour them. It's a very creepy book. Yeah. I read it on a train coming back from Sacramento. Seems like a mistake. Well, it was a mistake. The train... Is that the one of the ones where there was a There was person? a train accident, yes. There was a person who was trying to cross the tracks. And in this case, the person fled before the train hit his car. Well, that's... But we were trapped for three ultimate. hours in the middle of the night on a train 
in the dark along the coast, and I finished the book. And no time. one can hear you. Right. It was very creepy. It was a great atmosphere for reading a book like that, though. Um, but we, so Randall Flagg, as a character, was inspired by a, a poem that King wrote when he was uh, in 1969, that he wrote when he was in college, uh, The Dark Man. And it's about, I guess, a murdering hobo. <laughs> Fun. I mean, that's basically what Randall Flagg is. Right. Um, he happens to be also the devil, or well, a devil. So, um, he also appears, so he appears in the Dark Tower, he appears in the stand. He was inspired partly by uh, an actual person. And this was, uh, I'm sorry, I just lost it. Oh no, find it. He was here. And also Eyes of the Dragon, which I'd never read either. Oh, that one's a fun one. And that's almost like a YA novel. He wrote it with Peter Straub. Donald DeFreeze. Okay. Who was one of the, the kidnapper. He led the kidnap team that captured Patty Hearst and converted her to the Sibyllese Liberation Army. Interesting. He was also a black man, which is not what we get from Randall Flagg. But he, for some reason, became really focused on that persona mm-hmm. and wanted to exploit that somehow. He And I'm not sure where the image of the man with the, the basically the denim outfit comes from. Yeah, and that's, I, I think... Per- I don't know that he's actually defined that way mm-hmm. in the book. I can't remember. I haven't read the stand in 20 years. Uh, yeah, so he attributed to flag the image of a man walking the roads in cowboy boots, denim jeans, a jacket, and most importantly, wearing a hat. Oh, interesting. A notion that came out of nowhere when he was in college. So. Oh, yeah, okay. Now, there's a description of him in the book, which actually is, is cited in Wikipedia, which I liked. There was a dark hilarity in his face, and perhaps in his heart too, you would think. And you would be right. It was the face of a hatefully happy man, a face that radiated a horrible handsome warmth, a face to make water glasses shatter in the hands of tired truck stop waitresses, to make small children crash their tires into broad fences, and then run wailing to their mommies with stake-shaped splinters sticking out of their knees. It was a face guaranteed to make barroom arguments over over batting averages turn bloody. Was that from the stand? That was from the stand. Okay. So the idea of a person who just inspires, who's very good looking, who's very charismatic, and takes pleasure in watching other people suffer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's meant to be the devil. It seems to be implying, at one point, uh, Mother Abigail calls him the devil's imp. Yeah. So it's suggesting something else, although the first time that we see him talk to one of the other characters... Or talk to Lloyd. Hope you guess my name. That was yeah. kind of an interesting hint. But it, it, he feels more like a demon in the way that Mother Abigail clearly is not God or Jesus. Right. Right? right. She's a human. Now, this was something that when I first found out about the character struck me. Um, and I'm going to read you, as we would be in our other okay. podcast, Job, the book of Job, chapter 1. Uh, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, a man that was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And it goes on about his wealth and how happy he was. Yeah, he gives up. He loses all of it. Right, he does. Don't get, don't get attached. And now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And then Satan said to the Lord, From going the earth to and fro and from walking up and down it. 
Oh, interesting. So, so he's there's, just a walking man. He's a walking, he's a walking man. He's a walking dude. And so that I thought, being that we know of uh, Stephen King's uh, church reared yeah, um, and the, right. the Christian symbolism that's very heavy in this stand, that seemed to be an interesting tie-in, walking the earth up and down. It's just a guy who doesn't have a place, and so he's wandering around Until causing mischief. Until he finds the place that can be all his. Right. And that was also the kind of image that we get of the devil in Needful Things. Yes. A guy who wanders into town, causes all Takes sorts of what mayhem. what he can take and then, and then bounces, yeah. Right, exactly. So yeah, I think that was a, that was a very apt description. Interesting. And the way that it's played here... He does occasionally take this very demonic kind of image, uh, a very traditionally demonic medieval kind of demon image. So then we get to Boulder. Boulder. And Stu and the company arrive and meet Mother Abigail, mm-hmm. which I fully felt that, hap- that happened last no, time. No, that was the other group. No, I know, but yeah. I really did think that it happened last time. And Harold doesn't come up to meet her. Directly, he like skulks off. He's um, he's had a conversation because as soon as Stu and Franny keased, they went directly to Harold to let him know mm-hmm. that that was happening. And Stu, this was he had just earlier in the first previous episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? had said he wasn't going to make a move. He didn't fucking make a move. No, really. he didn't. Franny's a Whatever. So she's <laughs> like a, I just, she, So what do you feel about Franny? Tell me. Franny's fine, but mm-hmm. she's her own woman. So this all these conversations between Harold and Stu are bullshit. I think that Stu is not seeing it seeing her as a possession though. I think Harold no, was I understand and that. He's trying That's to what, pacify yes, Harold. I understand right. that, but it's it's gross. gross. Yes, it is. Um, it doesn't stop it from being gross. <laughs> That's the thing. That's all I'm saying. Women don't come across too well here, aside from Mother Abigail. I think she is the most forward and strong. I think maybe... Um, but I, I, the, I, even the way that you said that isn't great. How do you mean? Women don't come across too well. It sounds like they're doing things that are bad. That's no, not... No, I mean... They're not given a lot. They don't have a lot of agency, mm-hmm. except for Mother Abigail. And there's a couple Susan of characters. Susan does a bit, but then... Yeah, and Dana. But the problem is, I sure, I'm sure that in the whole complex list of characters in the book, those things come out. Mm. When you're reducing it for a film, yeah. we're picking the characters who are closer to the surface, but, and they don't have a lot of agency. They, right, but we also right. have to understand that Stephen King doesn't... At this point. At this point, is not great at writing women. Uh-huh. That are rounded. Mm-hmm. I That's think it becomes. Uh, he gets better. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, then we wake. Well, then we come upon Nadine, who is sleeping, and she wakes up. And who's driving her around? Who is it? I don't know. It's Stephen King. Oh my God! It's really? actually Stephen King. Tell yes. me more. They are driving to Colorado to meet Mother Abigail, and Nadine's hair is going very gray. New wig. <laughs> yes, it's a. It, it, she's a small, tiny woman she's shaped very like small. Jessica Rabbit. The hair winds up taking over her tiny it head. Is, it's, <laughs> it's a lot she of She looks hair. like the Medusa character from the old Fantastic Four comic books. It feels like it's alive and it's going to curl around your neck. We want you to be aware uh-huh. that her hair is changing, so we're going to make it her most prominent feature. That which and is... a very severe widow's peak. Yes, well, that's fine. 
I know several so people with of, those. So yeah, but it. it kind of looks like they're really selling. As I said, this comic book picture of yeah. evil. Yeah, now it's yeah. that and the bright red lipstick that never seems to go away, even yes. during the apocalypse. No, she was wearing a lot of bright red. Well, I mean, it's easy to get. It's in every store, and nobody's making you pay for it. Right. But, so if you want to wear red but, lipstick, you know, now if, is if the time. I think that what there should have been like a tie-in. Max Factor, you know, the How makeup, do you know there the wasn't? I cannot guarantee right. that there wasn't. And there will be with the new one. Maybe she's born with it. <laughs> Maybe she's the devil's plaything. Uh, then we're back to Boulder. They're working on getting the power station back up, and they're talking about how, uh, but we're going to have to have crews because people didn't, like, turn off their shit and mm-hmm. then die. They just died. God. So, uh, they're Mother Abigail is sitting on her porch laughing at a power motor. Is it remote remote. control? I think she was fiddling with the controls and that's why she was having such a great time. Okay, because I was like, what's happening in this? Because I've never seen a remote controlled lawnmower. It seems like a good idea, but I've never seen one. Yeah, so I think this is And she's just laughing. Right. Like, maniacally to herself. And I'm just like, is it over? Uh, and then Larry and Stu um, come up together. So you're like, mm. oh, look, they're conver- con- converging. All the people we know are converging together. And then Nadine and that whole group of people, Stephen King and a huge caravan of people yeah. arrive. And Larry sees her and says, she's so gray. And he tries to um, get her attention as she goes up Mother Abigail, who won't touch her. Yeah, Nadine is very <laughs> aware. I mean, excuse me, Mother Abigail is very aware of Nadine. Well, Nadine's getting real-time telepathic instruction from Randall Flagg, uh-huh. saying, go up to her, go up to her. Right. And Nadine is like, don't want to, don't want to. And uh, Mother Abigail is like, also don't want her to. <laughs> so, yeah, because yeah, she's like, who are you? And she says, I'm Nadine Cross. And she's like, mayhap you are, mayhap you ain't. And I'm just like, damn, as if that is your real name. Throw and say that she, <laughs> 100-year-old woman. So then she, like, goes away and tries to escape, and Larry tries to stop her, but mm-hmm. nope. To no effect. Nope. She disappears into the crowd of people who are gathered up. Gathered up to court. say, I've dreamed of you. Uh, they'd all be selfieing if it was now. Maybe not. Uh, uh, to whom? <laughs> do you think that we don't? Maybe some people do it for themselves. I don't know. No, no. But I mean, you take a picture, and how would you even bother saving it without the electricity? It's just. Although people would still be doing it, I don't doubt they they would. I feel like right? they'd still be doing it. I, Maybe with Polaroids. That's it. And then you shake it after. Don't. Even though you're not supposed to you're shake not supposed it, to I'm shake aware it. of that. Yes. Okay. Y'all, Polaroid would request that you do not shake it. Do not take uh, photographic advice from pop songs. That's No. Don't do it. So next we're at the power station, and it's Susan and I think a dude named Peter who um, are, it's green across the board, and then there's also at the same time this community meeting. And Mm -hmm. meanwhile, we've gotten little bits of Glenn going, I don't know that any of this is a good idea. Right. <laughs> like He's the Eeyore. Um, he he is an Eeyore, but he's also like, well, you know, 
this is what took mankind down. And I'm like, well, I mean, you're not entirely wrong, but also there's only one one hundredth uh-huh. or something like that of the population. You could probably take the good things and can weed out the bad things now. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> like, well, Glenn is important though because he represents a point of view, and that is that the progress that we made is what undermined us in the first yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. So it's a good point. I, yeah. I also, uh, but I, also I like power. So right. I'm like, <laughs> right. <laughs> can we, we, we can't start all over again from the Stone Age. Let's you know we have the infrastructure. Let's work with these it. things, uh-huh. but then. Well, he brings up the point that becomes very important in the remaining two episodes, which is, well, there are nuclear weapons sitting out in silos somewhere. that's what he's saying. He's saying all of the things that we made are just out there, Uh including, yeah, nuclear weapons and other bombs and ammunitions, Uh, but also, like, this dam that, if we can get it on, will Mm -hmm. will generate power for this entire area, which Mm -hmm. is, I think, why they went to Boulder. Mm-hmm. If I had to guess, and not just because it's a well-protected area in the middle of the country, but also because I believe it does get a lot of or all of its power hydroelectrically. That's a good idea. And with the snow on the Rockies, that's just going to be a perpetual source of well, power. Well, I would like to point out that I have criticized the director of the miniseries for mm-hmm. not having enough evocative imagery to add to it, that he's kind of flat as a director at this mm-hmm. point in his career. Mm-hmm. And I won't change that because it still is kind of flat. However, there is another lovely montage of all the power going back up, washing machines, yeah, where people washing are sitting machines, there, you know, mixers. Right. Yeah. Although it does bring up the question, why would you be washing your clothes at the end of the world while you're dying from illness? Well, because but, you think you have the flu. If you think you have the flu, that doesn't negate the fact that you just maybe vomited on a thing and now it needs to get washed. <laughs> yeah, but sick people rarely leave their homes. A lot of that stuff was in homes. Like well, yeah, the but the, 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 like the laundromat wasn't. That was the one that didn't buy it. But the rest of it, yes, there was a really nice montage. And I like the fact that these montages happen periodically. Like there's one per episode so far. Yeah. That show us. Of like, oh, wow. The, the scale yeah, we are seeing of, a lot of live people. Right. But most of the people are dead. And that's helpful to, yeah. to give across the scale. There's a scene, I'm not sure where it takes place in your timeline. Of the characters having to clean up a church because it's a little that, bit later. That yeah. follows along with um, with uh, Glenn's uh, his dictum that dictum. That's not the word I want. Glenn's statement that people didn't abandon their their machinery or didn't turn it off right when they're dying, so that when they turn the power back on, everything's going to become reactive. Yeah, yeah. So they're at this community meeting that. Um, they're they're looking to put together a a community council, the Boulder Freedom Council or something. And Stu is presiding over this thing. And the first thing he wants to do, because I guess because he's from Texas, is sing the national anthem. And fucking Franny jumps up and just starts singing it. And I'm like, fucking really? Like, and I don't know if I if it wasn't 2019. If I would be so upset by this, but I'm just like, mm. there's it's, nobody left on Earth, and we're going to be nationalistic. I think that you're looking at it from the framework of where we are right uh, that, now. That feels right because nationalism right now right. feels dirty to right. me, 
And so I'm watching these guys and I'm like, why? Right. For what? Also, our national anthem is the worst. Right. So, so to put it in context for people, there are missing paragraphs for national anthem. Oh, or yeah. Verses that well, just... first of all, it's a bad song and nobody can sing it well. And second, yeah, the lyrics in there are they're lyrics that fucking we don't real sing racist, because they y'all. are terribly racist <laughs> and horrible. But um, yeah, yeah, so, that was, I think that it probably would be a more effective moment if we were in a better place. I think that you're seeing it in the context of what it is. I now, think that's right. I think it's a 2019 what it was issue. meant at the time. Yeah, where it was then, we're together and right. we still have this thing. We have in something that binds and, us together. Yeah, because we were, and it's made perfect sense in the context of the story. Because they're from all over, and they don't have anything That's in true. common. So That's what true. do we all have in common? Well, we're all Americans. Right. So that goes on. They don't even have religion in common, which was an interesting point. Yeah. Because we have people who are atheists, like yep. Nick. We have people. And, and people I have Jewish. to say, I have to say that that Star Spangled Banner scene works. The part of it that works is watching Rob Lowe. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. he puts his hand on... Tom's heart and listens to Tom sing it right. by the vibration in his body. So and I'm Rob like, is, oh, I'm so <laughs> He's running away with this show. He really is. He's very good. Uh, and meanwhile, Mother Abigail, fucking, I think still in her nightgown, just takes a powder. Uh-huh. She's just walking down an empty street like, bye, y'all, bye. <laughs> well, what, what sets her apart in this, and I like the fact that she makes this change, she's just not the magical Negro. As a character, she's also a person. Yeah. And she realizes that she's beginning to take this all very seriously. There's some sort of holy mission and holy war that's about to happen. And there she is playing with her electric lawn, I mean, her remote control. Well, but I think she was also told you got to go out into the, into the, um, into the wilderness, right? Right. She has to do a walkabout. Right. Which again (laughs) is a biblical reference. Jesus going to be tempted of the devil in the wilderness. Which and happens. <laughs> and then uh, Stu is continues presiding over this group, and, and he's like, you know, we have these people stand up. These are the people who Mother Abigail has named, mm-hmm. but this is still America. And I'm like, but is it though? <laughs> because y'all don't have a president. Uh-huh. You're not voting for a president. I appreciate so is it America? skepticism too. It's like. <laughs> But Abigail says that God has chosen these people, but we're going to vote. We're going <laughs> like, to vote. And uh, Harold stands up, and you're like, oh, is he going to? But then he, he doesn't. He goes ahead and says, I think we should take it as is. If it's good enough for Mother Abigail, it's good enough for me. In a real bullshit situation. Right. But he's still, you know, playing nice. Spoiler alert. The betrayal is by Harold. <laughs> All right. So the committee is adopted as offered, and uh, Lucy finds Abigail, Mother Abigail's letter, and Joe has a freak out in the corner. Because Joe's very attached to Mother Abigail. I guess. And I, I'm not sure if some of her sanctity has passed to him, because now he's a well-behaved, well-mannered, non-feral, non-biting you know, non kid. Yes. Feral. The word feral. Feral. Oh my feral. God. Yes. Uh, then there's conversations that they need to send they're going to need to send spies. 
just the indication of that, Mm -hmm. but we don't get too into it. Uh, And then Nadine goes to Larry and Lucy's house and is like, I need to talk to you out here. And Larry's like, I'll be right back, baby. And Lucy's like, okay, baby. And then... But she's watching through the window going, is that your ex-girlfriend? Is that the woman you were trying to sleep with in 10? And then Larry indicates that Lucy is his wife. Right. Okay, so we didn't see any of this. We didn't see any of that. And Nadine's like, your wife... And Nadine basically says, if you fuck me, I can stay with you. (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. as long as she is a virgin... Mm -hmm. She is promised to Randall Flagg. As soon as she is not a virgin anymore, right. he's not going to want her, apparently. Uh, and apparently the only person she can have sex with is Larry, because I don't know why she doesn't just get Harold to take three seconds out of his busy day and get yeah, it done being with. Harold, it would be ba- barely three seconds. I, this is what I'm saying. Um, um, I think, though, how did you feel about this scene? Because you seemed to have an issue with it when we were watching it. Which one? The scene with Nadine, that she was sort of creepy and... I I just find... On this watch, uh-huh. I find her character entirely repulsive. I, uh-huh. I just do. I don't... And, and it's not... I mean, I guess she's doing a great job. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm saying. Uh-huh. She but is... I don't... Like it. now, was it you or our other housemate who was watching it with us who brought up the term spidery? I didn't, or I don't know. It I, was I very. Know. She is very walking a very weird line where she knows what she can do to this guy, right? She's, and she's pushing Stephanie's his buttons. talking about was talking about sex magic and how she seemed to ooze with sex, sex magic, and I'm like. I mean, I guess we're getting that from the way that the men are acting around her but it's so repulsive to me that i just can't like i don't it's not i think she's doing doing a really effective part in that she seems to and this is going to contribute in the next part to a really great line reading for her yeah but she is at this point like very much on the edge of hysteria She's yeah. trying to seduce him, and there's tears in her eyes, and she looks so yeah. desperate and desperate. frightened. Well, because she knows that she's right. and real screwed you here. You almost in a want to feel pity for her because she thinks that this is her only way out. Yeah, and it, I, I'm really happy for Larry just going, no, 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 like, no, no, you no, need no. to go, and he put like physically pushes her, her because yeah. she's just climbing on top of him. Yeah, which is and even then, creepier because she's so little. It's like, and uh, then she's yeah. sent to Le- to Harold's house. Uh huh. Uh, through her telekinetic uh-huh. directions, uh, directions, or yeah, and then we have a barbecue, and it's the committee, uh-huh. and they're barbecuing, and they're talking about who th- that they want to send three people west, mm-hmm. and I think Susan uh says I'll go, and Glenn's like, nope, the people on this committee have to stay here mm-hmm. because we have a whole civilization to rebuild right that is what our job is we can't then leave we were voted into this committee and that is what this committee is is going to do and i don't none of them seem to have grasped that until that second like because there's no pushback on that there just seems to be like a oh fuck right like that is in fact what we are doing there are some really well written and well acted scenes in this Mm -hmm. episode and this is one of them because Mm -hmm. they stay in character Stu is taking charge he's yeah 
talking about sending out spies and Larry, who was Mr. Counterculture, that was mm-hmm. his whole image, rock star is like, I didn't... I'm a fucking politician now. Right. How did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> and that yeah. was really well done and really well acted. Yeah. I was really I, I admired the job they were doing because it often in scenes like this where there's a large number of people, it mm-hmm. doesn't kind of work right yeah. or whatever. No, everybody Everyone in stayed this one. very yeah. true, in, true to their character. Yeah. Uh, then Susan says, well, if I can't go, I, I nominate Dina. Mm-hmm. Uh, they decide to nominate Tom, which uh-huh. is a controversial pick, but they don't think that they would assume that they Nick would... Nick nominates Tom. Nick not. That's and true. He, That's right. He, Nick does it. You can see there's a great... This scene, the scene afterward... Oh, God. The next scene is really rough. Really rough. <laughs> but you can see where they're just... He knows that Tom is so... And a word that we like, guileless. Yes. That he will be able to get through the ranks yes. of these people without ever looking like he's telling a lie. And they don't... They don't think that the people there would think that they would send someone who was not uh, up to snuff. It makes a story that they can believe, in yeah. other words. Yeah, And then they also uh, put up the judge. Right. So Because he's, uh, he's not young, smart. but he is smart as hell. Yeah. And is a point that you brought up watching it, being a judge. And this is the 1980s, right? Yeah. So he would have started... In the when 90s. The 90s. Yeah. This would have started... He would be hired around the same time Thurgood Marshall yeah. came in. I was like, this man is he's a black judge in the United States in 1994, right. which means he was a black attorney in the United, in the United States by the, in the mm-hmm. 1960s and maybe a black judge as early as the 70s. Right. And that is not a... That's not a small feat. That's no. a... So here's a guy, and they all admit he is smart as hell, mm-hmm. and that when they later go to recruit him, he's aware of the fact oh, that yeah. he's not going to come back, given his age and given uh, the kind of the nature of what no, he's about to do. He doesn't not think he's going to come. Well, back. Well, he makes a statement that he because what's the point of going if he doesn't come back? You no, know, no, that he might not make it. In other words, he seems to have no illusions about that that he might not get there. Right, but I, I, I don't think so. I think. I didn't read, make that reading because it doesn't. Mm-hmm. They don't have any communication. Well, even so, sending right. people out and not expecting them to turn doesn't make any sense. Even well, that's why they're sending out more than one. Right. But that's why, and Stu says that at one point they might not all make it back. They might not all make it back. But, but I, I think don't the think... judge. What I read from his scene was he's aware that he might not make it back, but he seems to be more aware than others. Right, but but he does say with like no uncertainty something like "Don't get caught." I, right. I drive. I this is my story, and I don't get caught. Yeah. Period. Um. And then we have the scene. The scene. Y'all. Oh, the scene. Is... It's heartbreaking. So, Stu and Glenn uh, and Nick and Larry. Is it all of them? Or is it just... Everyone sat there. And it might be the It's entire like nobody wanted to be responsible for it, so everyone Everybody got into it there. together. Put Tom under hypnosis mm-hmm. and give him his story and, and his sort of marching orders, right? Right. You're going to go west. You're going to travel at night. Uh, when you come back, you're going to travel at night, but you're going to go west, and you're going to... I don't even know if I can say... I'm not going to say what they say, because um, it's... The language is, you know... 
basically you were exiled because you could take a woman and make babies that were disabled the way you're disabled right. and we couldn't let that happen so we kicked you out that's the story that he's going uh going west with right and it's uh it's real rough y'all <laughs> sorry it's real rough y'all and there the one thing i don't like about this scene is um you know tom's under and he's repeating things back, but he's doing it at a, with a very big drawl, and he's asleep, right? Mm-hmm. So his face is not moving that much. And there they put a lot of um, Rob Lowe's face on the screen. Right. Responding, like acting, seeing, basically indicating that Nick is reading Tom's lips. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't think he would be able to do that, given... Right the slackness in Tom's face, which is like such a small thing. But I was like, but if you're going to hinge, this scene doesn't need you to hinge the emotion on Rob Lowe's face. But because they chose to do that, I was like, well, but he's not, he's definitely not getting a hundred percent of what's being said. Like he just wouldn't be able to. I think that we didn't need it as well. We Mm. know what this is doing to Nick. Yeah. And I think that there's a a couple of conceits in here that work pretty well and that are kind of hard to take, which is they encounter God's Tom. Oh, yeah. Which is a very weird one. And I'm not sure exactly what it's supposed to mean, almost as if... So they say, is this Tom? And... He responds, this is God's Tom. Right. So I'm not sure what it, what it's supposed to mean. Is it the context that God is moving people like chess pieces here? Or Which is it be. like his inner self that was being that like, given was the, the visions other, right. that, that, that that's, it would be inside of all of them that was given right. the visions of Mother Abigail? And like, those had to come from somewhere. It. Right, yeah. Which made this seem even more interesting to me because I'm like, you're seeing him one way, and this is not who he is. No. And then the other thing that was really... But God's Tom is the one that you drops the R word a whole bunch. Right. Well, and that's what makes it... And I think that that was I'm like, hey, God's Tom? No, I think that was intentional, mm. because the look on Gary Sinise's face... When he hears those when words. When he hears these words, it's like he's Because so, they don't use... Right, they won't use that word around him, but it's like he's throwing it back in their face. This is what you're saying about me. Yeah. This is what you're all thinking that you won't say. And Gary Sinise registers, like, such a look of profound shame when yeah. he hears him repeated over and over and again. And also, like, he knows. Yeah. Like, even if the... If, okay, so if God's Tom is Tom's subconscious, mm-hmm. he still knows right. that people look at him right. this way, whether or not they say it and to so his it's face. it's a great scene because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It makes oh, it's uncomfortable. uncomfortable. It makes... It looks like everyone in the room is uncomfortable with mm-hmm. it. They're asking him to do something really terrible, including his best friend. Yeah. Who loves him like a brother. It does, at this um, point, for sure. More than a brother. I mean, I don't love my brother this much. But um, <laughs> it's, it, yeah, so it really is an affecting it's scene. It's rough, like, man. It, every right. time I cry, every time. This episode will make me cry two times. Right. Yeah. That's it's a but it's yeah it's very well acted. It is by one of the yet. best scenes in the entire miniseries, if not the best scene so far. I mean, and I w- I'm kind of want to know the making of it. Like I feel like what happened that day 
was they literally all got in that room, they did it in one fucking take. Or something like that. And then just were like, and that's not going to get better, and it's only going to make us feel shittier as we go. It really felt like, with that scene, that it's one of those things, um, Wes Craven talked about doing a really violent movie, uh, Last House on the Left. Yeah. That was a, a remake of one of Bergman's movies, but he keyed up the violence and to a really horrible extent. It's not a movie that anybody should necessarily see. It's really hardcore, and there was a rape and murder scene that happened Ugh. in the film that is so vile. And he expressed later on just embarrassment about doing it. It's like, you know, it was the time I was in. It was Vietnam. It was my anger at the establishment, and just everything came out. The actors did the scene. It was in the woods. And when they were done, everyone shut off the camera. No one said a word to each other and just walked away. Walked away, yeah. That's it. No yeah. one's going to talk about this anymore. And it sort of felt like this is one of those scenes where at the end of it, everyone's going to have to sit and take a deep breath yeah. and try to get over it because it looked like it was taking so much out of the actors yeah. to yeah, do yeah. it. Because That's why I'm really hoping that they all fucking did it in one and were like, either, fucking we got that, right? Because either everyone was laughing afterwards and like hugging each other or everyone was dead silent. But yeah. I don't see how you could do that and then come away and just go, you know, that was just another scene. Because yeah, no, it, it, it isn't. felt very yeah. present and very real. Yeah. To their credit. All right. Then we are cleaning out the church. Now, this was a little bit wild to me, too, because I was like, mm. so it's, uh, we're in August now, uh-huh. so it's been about two months, I think, it, just about two months since the thing started, and they're standing in the vest, is, I don't know, like in the, in the entranceway before uh-huh. you'd open in to that, the church proper where the pews are. They're standing in there, and they're all in the hazmat suits, and they've got, uh, Black garbage bags, which, guys, go to the morgue and get actual body bags, but okay, black garbage bags, sure. And duct tape, apparently, is their, uh, is their method of choice. And they, uh, they're they like, we don't know if anybody's going to be in here, but we do know that churches are a place that people go. Uh-huh. And I'm like, standing outside of doors that are not in any way vacuum sealed mm-hmm. or anything like that, you know if there are bodies in there. Right. Two months after... You know that they're, we're not in the desert. We're in the mountains. I think the humidity is enough to let me know that that is going to be ripe mm-hmm. and you will know it. Now, granted, they've been surrounded by the smell of death for two so months, so maybe they're nose blind. Right. I don't know. But I was like, I don't know. And uh, Peter, the one who started the uh, power plant, is the one leading this group. And, uh, which I actually liked seeing. That uh-huh. was something I noticed. I was like, so he's like a full-on engineer. Right. Also, he will do body duty. So way to go, everyone. Well, everyone is, seems to be choosing some kind of task to do. So but they, but right. they're all doing multiple things. They're right. not like, that's outside of my lane. They're mm-hmm. like, well, this shit needs to get done and it sucks. Everybody should probably do it. Yeah. Because it sucks for everyone. <laughs> so let's spread it out. So you don't have to do as much. Um, and he says, if it helps, think of the bodies as cordwood. Y'all, it doesn't help. Uh, that There is a bunch of bodies in there. Harold goes and throws up again. He really can't. Uh, doesn't handle death very well. Vomit comment. Uh, then Harold comes home after that fun 
outing and Nadine is in his house. Just in his fucking house. Which I guess they just all got assigned mm. houses. Nice. Um, that's how it should be. Let's do that. And uh, she's like, well, I'm a virgin, but I have to stay a virgin. And he's like, why? And she goes, don't. Or because it's some, it's for somebody else to do something about right. that. And he's like, who? And she's like, don't be fucking stupid. Like, right. I, I don't need to tell you, but I'm also fucking this, so you know. What I'm offering you can take or you can And then, Well, no, no, no. I mean, specifically, mm-hmm. she, he, he wants to know who's, right, who's she gonna... is. And he, she's like, he, you know yeah. the answer to that. Like, what are, shut up. Uh, and... You know, they can do everything but that one thing, and it's such a little thing. And he does say, how would you know? And I'm like, I mean, good point, Harold. Uh, so then they start kissing, and it's gross, and we leave. And then we see the judge and Larry talking, and the judge right. is like, you're going to send, you're you're looking to send spies, and you're recruiting me, basically. And Larry's like, yeah. <laughs> and the judge is like, yeah, like I'll take my Larry. truck it's like, and I'll go alone and it's going to mm-hmm. suck and I'm going to be lonely and I'm going to be uncomfortable, but I'll I like see what's happening. It's Larry. It's Mr. Anti-Establishment <laughs> talking to the kind of guy who probably sentenced him twice to jail time for drunk driving <laughs> or drug possession. And that's the guy who they send and that's the guy he has to talk to who knows what the mission is. It's very, I like that scene too because it's very funny. And Ozzie Davis is great. Yeah, he is great. He is great. He's one of those actors who you see him in a scene, he lifts everyone else up too. Oh, well, yeah, for sure. So then we go back to Nadine and Harold and they're, you know, post whatever it is and he's not wearing anything and she's wearing some sort of bright red negligee because why wouldn't you? Uh I do like the beginning of the other scene with them where she's like, take a shower. What have you been doing? (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) see, the smell of death. They would have known. I I have to, in this instance, stand up for the show because I feel that they were pushing so many buttons with this program when it was released. Mm -hmm. I mean, remember, we had uh, years earlier a program called Kung Fu right? And they were only allowed to show three minutes of Kung Fu per episode, despite the fact that the show was called Kung Fu. Why? Because network, network standards and practices would not allow that kind of violence on a television show, even though on Gunsmoke, 50 people were shot every episode. On Bonanza, but like nobody bled, so family shows, bad. right? People would get shot and killed all the time, but we can't see any of that Oriental stuff. Wowza. Seriously, that was what they said. Yeah, I know. People are terrible. So I think that this show pushed so many buttons, because I I was watching it going, wouldn't the bodies be more decomposed than they are? But they were, I think, doing so much in terms of sex and violence for network television. No, I don't want them to look gross. I'm just saying. I think but they would be be more gross by that point. Uh, and I, but I'm actually fine with that. I would it's like to have seen the doors open and all the flies come flies, out, yeah. which would really be what would happen. Yeah, that's um, probably likely. But uh, yeah, but that would be just too much. This is network TV. So um, then we get Nick and Stu dropping off Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, wherein, like, Nick hugs him really hard. And he reminds him of something. And I can't remember exactly what it is. And Tom says, oh, yeah, that's right. 
sometimes I hate being retarded because I forget stuff like that. And it's like, after yeah. the scene we've just watched, right. it's just like, oh, so he uses this terminology in his conscious conscious and not just his subconscious. Well, he, because he's heard it his entire life. Yeah, and that's, I know. That's so it's sad, just, right? it's really... It's really heartbreaking, and you can. And when Nick sees him say that, it looks like it slaps him across right. the face. Like it's a, yeah, it's it's hard. And then Tom is riding off on his own. Bye, Tom. We love you. Then we go to Franny and Susan at the doctor. There's definitely a baby in there. Um, and Susan's like. <gasps> You're so lucky. We've already started trying. And I don't know if she said her and Peter. I don't know if her and Peter are together. It seems like it. Um, And she's like, well, I mean, we don't know if we're lucky. We don't know if the flu is still here or if our children are going to be immune from it. And I won't know until after this thing is born. And and Susan had not considered this at all. And and her face is just like, Oh, fuck. Like, right. Franny's she totally right. right. This is also the smartest uh, and most put together we've seen Franny. Right. So could we just have less of her with dudes? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I need her to be by herself. Well, there's a lot of... She's always... She was always with her father or with Stu or with and Harold. Molly Ringwald is doing this sort of slack-mouthed horror thing a lot. And it's just like, okay... But in this scene... It... This scene, she works really well. Yep. She says smart, reasonable things. I know. This is what I'm saying. I'm saying get her yeah. away from the men. And she has to think and act on her own. Yeah, I don't know. And then we um, we see Harold. Uh, he's having a nightmare. He's dreaming of corpses and a wild card. And uh, he hears Flag say a surprise, a big, loud one. And then we're on an airbase, and Tom is there. He's working. Uh, they're clearing airfields. Now, that was one of the things that they're looking for. They're looking mm-hmm. for airfields being cleared. They're looking for any missiles or rockets being Or soldiers trapped. being trained. Or soldiers being trained, right. Uh, so they are, in fact, clearing the airstrips. Uh, and some of his, they're all eating lunch, and some of his coworkers are like, why are we even doing this? And they're like, well, do you like the life that you're living? Do you want to have a pension and a 401k and a comfortable life? And they're like, oh, yeah. And and they said, well, don't ask why Flag does things. (laughs) Like, yours is not to reason why, (laughs) or question why yours is, but to fucking do what you're told. Hey, Marines. I fucked up your whole situation. Sorry. Uh, and then uh, he he's told to take a uh, toolbox inside. And while he's inside, he overhears somebody in the next little area, mm-hmm. big area. It's a hangar. It's pretty right. big. And he looks and he sees trash can man and a bomb of some sort. And then he's called back. And so he is seeing the thing that he's supposed to be looking out for. And then um, we see Dana, who's on a work crew in the city proper, mm-hmm. and she sees Tom coming back on the back of the truck that he is working on. So she sees him and knows he's there. I don't know if he sees her. He looks up, but I'm not sure yeah. that he he sees her. Right. It's, it's unclear. 
And now we have that scene with Harold and uh, Nadine in the basement, and he is working on a bomb. It's got dynamite involved in it. That's what I can tell you. And apparently he's found a copy of the Anarchist Cookbook or something. Well, he was also given a dream to show where the, the dynamite was. That's right. There's some really good recognition of the fact that it's unstable mm-hmm. now. Yeah, and he's, he's handling like, it with his bare hands. I don't know what's going to happen, but mm-hmm. um, I know this stuff sweats nitroglycerin. So and at this better. point, he's also yelling at Nadine. Yeah. he's The dynamic of their relationship has changed because in the beginning... He's deeply abusive and right. he's he's fully... He, he is a prototypical incel. Right. He's, it's all that same... You know, mm-hmm. shut your mouth and go away. I don't have any reason to have you around because I'm not actively sticking my dick in you. Right. So make yourself scarce because you're dumb and, yeah, you know, yeah, it's... He's, uh, he's, he's, it literally is my notes say, Harold building a bomb in a basement. He's trash. <laughs> a poem. Haiku. <laughs> And then we see Nadine going to Franny's house and calling out for Franny. And then when Franny is not there, she puts a box in the closet in the foyer. And then she goes back and Harold asks Nadine if they're damned or tells Nadine that they are damned. damned. And she's like, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Have been for a while now, kiddo. Realize that you're damned, yet you do nothing to stop it. Because your own ego and your need to get revenge on these people is more important than your own soul and the survival of these people who took you in. Everyone's trying to work together. It's just because you are not the most important person in this group. I think that he wanted to be recognized as a sort of sensitive artist yeah, writing poetry. And it just winds up that he, from the Parts of the poem that they're reading, it's kind of mean to see um, Franny and her dad read the poetry aloud and laugh at it. That's kind of mean. Yeah. But the suggestion is that he's not very talented at that. It's like what he thinks he should do as a sensitive man. And he has issues with Stu because Stu is the more traditionally manly man who has skills and things. He could learn those skills. He could apply himself to do anything, but instead he's just going to sit there nursing his wound yeah. forever. And that's kind of what makes him so repulsive to me. Not that he exists in the first place. No. It's just that he has no desire to learn and change. Mm-mm. Everyone else is trying to take the opportunity to adapt. Yeah. No, and he presumes, or he, he sits mm-hmm. in a in an area of uh, entitlement. Right. Of, I don't have to change because I'm perfect as I am and why right. the fuck are you too stupid to see that yeah and there's that there's that's really the biggest part of his character is that this kind of sulking adolescent yeah who wants to be recognized on his own terms and does not want to do anything yeah we see the engineer turning on all the electricity mm-hmm. he apparently has enough knowledge to keep these motorcycles going because we see him working on the motorcycles a lot mm-hmm. but this is not like we ever see him contributing to the outside world outside of that Mm-mm. again might be different in the book right but it's like his tinkering is done for his own purposes yeah it's not like he well his tinkering is done because he's built a bomb <laughs> right but I mean a person who can build a bomb can build a lot of other things yes. too and it's yeah, not yeah, yeah. like he's really at any point trying to fit in or develop the skills or nope. trying to do anything nope it's all um, 
surface and nothing mm-hmm. deeper. And I think Nadine chose him because in some ways he's so repellent. Well, Nadine didn't choose him. No, no, well, Randall Flagg yeah. chose him, but I think Nadine, okay, let's say Randall Flagg chose him for Nadine, mm-hmm. but I think Nadine is safe with him because he can be controlled as long as he satisfies yeah. some of his needs. Yeah. And he can also be... Um, you can use that right. um, bitterness that he's just right. stewing in to turn to to push him not very hard mm-hmm. in a direction of complete chaos. Yeah. yeah. So then there's a council meeting at Franny's house, um, and Abigail is coming back down the street. Joe Joe finds her. Joe has her, and uh, everyone at the council meeting hears Abigail telling them to get out. Mm-hmm. There's also a picnic around the like in the park it's that's like a I guess of July very picnic, close almost, yeah. to. Um, to that council meeting, and they go to rush out. Except Nick stays back to go because he knows it's in the closet. Which mm-hmm. I don't know why that information was given. Well, they all simultaneously. So Mother Abigail wanders back in the mm-hmm. fringes of town, and they discover her. Yeah, and she's giving them a warning. When she wanders, like when she's close enough, they all get some sort of psychic message. Yes, yeah, they all like the clutch place. their heads and right, yeah. Um, and that's how you know you're getting a psychic message. Nick runs to the bomb. And but he's, why? I think that he might have thought about... Defu- I don't know what Maybe he was Maybe thinking you could defuse it. Because I'm just like, no, no, no. Everybody should have been sent away from it. Because mm-hmm. him opening that door only made things worse, actually. Right. Probably. Because it didn't have another layer to contain it. I mean, this bomb was big because it go Y'all, it goes off. Nick does not make it. Yeah, it ate the whole house. Okay. Uh, and it really Franny is thrown best special effects so far in the yes. movie that really looked like it it was a it was a good explosion it was a good they practical did a nice, explosion yes. that looked like every single thing got burned to toothpicks yeah they did they did nice work with that and Nick um, yeah Nick doesn't make it uh, then we see Franny with Abigail and Franny's yeah. like am I dead wearing a really mysterious dress just a beautiful fancy dress for no reason and a scarf matching mm-hmm. scarf uh, and Abigail says, Franny, Stuart has to go. He's got to leave now that Nick is gone. And I'm like, well, then why did you make Nick be gone? Because you made him go to that bomb. If you made him get out, he may not be gone. What is happening here? So the th- four men, Stu, Ralph, Larry, and Glenn, are going to have to go west. And Franny wakes up and she's in the hospital. The baby's all right. She can't move. Her back is fucked up. She has whiplash. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nick is dead. Six other people, including Susan, also dead. 20 people were wounded. Uh, Abigail says she's there in the hospital, too, and she's, like, very weak. And she says, go west, young men. You can't uh, bring any food or water. You just, you have to go today and just. Carry what you have on you. Deuces. And she says, I have a way to know that one of you will fall, but I don't know which one. And the others will be taken before flag. And they're like, what is he? And she says, a creature from beyond the world. And she dies. And then Freddie's okay enough to get up, I guess, and 
she everybody's being seen off. Um, Kojak's gonna go. The dog's coming with him, and Franny and Stu have a goodbye scene. She's real mad that he has to go, uh, and she's like, "Tell me you love me," and he says, "You know that I do," and she goes, "Well then, tell me," and I'm just like, "Ugh." needy why do we yeah i literally wrote franny's so demanding and then the four of them walk west and our last image is a so who are the four ralph Mm -hmm. who is the man who picked up nick and tom the big guy larry our singer glenn our teacher and Stu, uh lieutenant dan so I, how did you feel about this episode overall? I like this episode, mm-hmm. but the commodification of women in this episode bums me out. Mm. Like with the Franny, Harold, Stu stuff at the beginning and the Nadine stuff, it feels... Very much like women are there solely for the use of right. men or male demons. <laughs> so, which is a which is a bummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that scene, that really hard hypnosis scene, is so good. Right. Uh, this is the scene that kills Nick, or this is the episode that kills Nick. So I can't forgive it for that. So, you know, this one's this one is also probably the one that has the most kills. Mother Abigail kills Mother Abigail too. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, This I feel like the most happened right so far, even though the end of the world happened in the first one. So (laughs) the most happens to the characters that we're so invested in. Uh, And we're getting a little more on the evil side, which Mm -hmm. I actually. I think, and I'm hopeful that that is a bigger part in the new one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think knowing that there is this evil thing over that way that has a plan is one thing, but there are human beings over there. These are people, and and they don't. I don't think they may talk about it in the next episode. I don't think we've seen it now. But from the book, they're not allowed to do drugs. They're not allowed to drink. They're not allowed to gamble. Like, they're not allowed to have all of these vices that you would think would draw these people to this place. But none of those things are allowed. And they're, like, punishable by exile or death or whatever. Mm. So... You've got these very straight legs. Now, granted, this is so what's that fascism, I guess. Mm-hmm, right. Uh, but it takes all of the quote unquote evil or the vices uh-huh. away from them. The, they take the sin. Mm-hmm. So, what's left behind? Like, who are these people? Well, I, I, I think that the scene that we're given when, um, when we see Tom Cullen at the airfield, at the airfield. yeah. Is you see that there's some people who are just jerks. Yeah. And there are a good number of people in that scene who just seem to be average people. Just this is doing the they what went. they do. Yeah. Like And it's almost as if when he asks them if you want your four oh one case. Right. There are some people who go there who don't want to start a utopian society. They want to go back to what they already did, which didn't work. Right. Um, maybe that's it. Maybe you'll have, right. you'll be comfortable and that's enough. 
Right, and you won't be you won't be a sheep. You'll be a wolf. So, yeah, that might be the appeal of it for them. I think that um, it just. I think that that would be. Uh, I think that that's an important piece that's a little bit missing from this right. uh, telling of it, uh, because they are also talking about you know likely having to have this. Um, standoff mm-hmm. and there are you know you don't know that everyone over there is evil just like well, you don't know everybody on your side is good mother abigail seems sees things very black and white because she's a prophet and she's receiving right. these messages and her opposite number is just pure evil there's, right there's nothing to him right there's no quality of good to him so um on that level, but Fran actually has a really good scene when she wakes up from her injury and accuses Mother Abigail of your God who gets people killed yeah. or who kills people. And so Mother Abigail saying, okay, now we've moved into the promised land. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it really, there's a lot of references to Moses. Moses yeah. gets people to the promised land, but he doesn't even go inside himself. He dies and he has to pass it on to Joshua, mm-hmm. who's the warrior who then has to clean up the promised land. Right. He's the one who sends... Right, because right. weirdly, the promised land, there were people there. Right. <laughs> so what happens is that the people who go in, and, and just like Joshua sends in spies to spy out the promised oh, land. Oh, interesting, yeah. So uh, that was Joshua's tactics, and spies out there and pretend like you're one of them. Uh, so there's a lot of that in this story, but they also... Mother Abigail is very Old Testament in her black and white seeing of things. Gotcha. And we get all these other people who are looking at it in terms of, wait, we're listening to who? We've stopped being a democracy, and I think that was Stu's point. Yeah. We're not going to be a theocracy. We have a woman getting messages from God, yeah. and she's passing this We still this have off, to have the say in this it. this is still America, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's we, right. We can't do this. We can't have a person getting messages from God. And... Also, they're very upfront about that. Mother Abigail's God. Yeah, they're not. We're saying, not saying it's everybody's. It's not. Right. We're not forcing that on you, which was good. I think that's. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of interesting points because it's done very but realistically. Still, not nationalism. Like, right. can we find a third there's option? There's nationalism. There's theocracy, and there's what they should be aiming at. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I I really appreciated that from that point. I like the the idea that. Nick's character, despite his lack of religion, is actually very kind of devout and very... He has his own faith. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and the... Um, and Mother Abigail even doesn't force it on people. No. She teases them about it. Yes. And she talks about it constantly, but it's not like she... Right, but it's not like, well, if you don't believe what I believe, you have we to go can't talk. Back and into the outer yeah. wilderness and start wandering. Oh, although maybe that's why she blew him up. <sighs> Mother <sighs> Abigail? No. I think he now was trying to do something heroic at the theory. last minute, and it didn't work out well no, for him. No, it did not. So, yeah, that's very sad. But I, who did you? Neck. So, who do you feel really stood out in this episode? Oh, uh, t- Tom. Right, Tom, Tom, and Glenn. Glenn had some really good yeah. uh, scenes in this, where he was like the voice of uh, y'all. Can we learn from the past so we are not doomed to repeat it? Because right. I, I think, can tell you what's going to gonna me, happen. Gary Sinise's scene 
the hypnotism scene, his yes. the look on his face mm-hmm. when he's listening to Tom repeat these horrible, horrible things to him. Yeah. It just looks like you've punched him in the chest. He did a really very subtle, really great job. Yeah. I mean, because it's easy when you see an actor to lose track of where they've come from. And you're going, oh, this is the guy who was doing first run plays with David David Mamet. Yes. Him and Joe Mantegna and William Macy and yeah. Leslie Huffman. He was one of the group from, I think, from the Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago when David Mamet was doing his plays there. Right. So he's one of those guys. It's, and you, you can forget and that. And then he, then he was Lieutenant Dan, and now he's right. on CSI or whatever, and then we just forget that that's... You forget, oh, no, this guy, he was doing these performances where like he was a real ass actor, right? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I and I've always liked him. Um, I like him as he goes on in this one. I think in the first one I didn't love it, but I also was like, why are you so thin? You're not supposed to look sick. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be the one that doesn't look sick. You look sick. Okay, so just very quickly, the Steppenwolf Theater, Yeah. all right, was Joan Allen, Kevin Anderson, Gary Cole, Ethan Hawke, oh, Gary John Cole. Mahoney, John Malkovich, Laurie Metcalf, Martha Plimpton, and John Trufost. William Peterson was a part of that company. Oh, interesting. So a lot of amazing people came out of that. Yeah. Um, and and so, yeah, that was like the, it's one of those places where they look back, La Mama Theater was another one uh, in New York, where the, just a lot of actors who just carry weight. You know, that was uh, the theater where um, it was run by the parents of Diane Lane. Okay, yeah. And she says, my fondest memories were the fact that um, out of Africa. Oh, Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep playing Jax with her as a teenager. Oh, okay. She would be in the wings playing Jax, and Meryl Streep, before getting into character, because that's how good Meryl Streep was, would be playing Jax with her well, in Meryl the wings. Well, Meryl Streep, I love listening to Meryl Streep talk about people who, uh, who are method. Right. Because she's like, no, no. I come to work. I do my job and I leave work. Well, like, so what are you even talking Meryl about? Meryl Streep and then Diane Lane also says her first big crush was Raul Julia. How do you who not? Who was in that theater come on. and she just was like following him around like a puppy and he's almost uncomfortable with the attention he's getting from this very beautiful teenage girl following him around. Yeah, like, that's okay. a. You well, like there. There, but also you're right. Keep your mother run runs the Holy the, Ghost. Your, your mother <laughs> is the boss of the theater, and your dad is your your parents run the theater. So I, you stay over there. Also, you are a child, right, and so a child. stay over there. But yeah, he was one of those guys who exuded charm, so of she course. was just flustered around him. But yeah, you've, you've, there's great acting traditions, and a lot of them are reflected in this movie because we're getting Aussie and. Um, Ruby D. Ruby D. Ruby D. Who had a PBS show for a while, doing like nothing. anthology dramas. She died. Oh, that's a pity. Do you mean like Laura Linney introduces Masterpiece Theater, or do oh, you no, mean no, they like actually she would... had a full-on part where they would do monologues into the camera, playing husband and wife. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty neat. I remember seeing that as a kid. I I was a weird kid. Like modernist stagings mm-hmm. of plays that weren't full. Right. Okay. I was a weird kid because I would sit there as I I mentioned this before. While my family was away at church, generally they were at church three days a week or four days sometimes. And I didn't always go with them. And on nights where I had the TV room to myself because we had one TV for the longest time, I'd be sitting watching PBS and watching a lot of 
very unusual television. Not just mystery or masterpiece theater, but also just weird stuff. I was the only kid I knew who was like, upstairs, downstairs is great. <laughs> like Everyone's looking at me, you're weird. Like, yes, but it's so but cool. But it also, it's great. <laughs> right. Uh, where are we at? So, yeah, this is pretty much wrapped up. Okay. So, next week, mm-hmm. it should come to no surprise to anyone listening that we will be watching part four of the Stand miniseries right. entitled The Stand. Apropos. So what we know is that people will be standing. Mm, there may be some people sitting. Some people are sit- definitely sitting. Uh, some people will be lying. Down? Or yes, well, lying? because they're dead. Oh, yeah. So I can name there'll be people, some people in all of those, but I won't spoil it. In the it. supine position. I have never seen this entire thing. I have seen bits and pieces. Oh. I've seen fragments. Buckle in, everyone. But the I... literal ass hand of God is hey. coming. It's coming. And if you guys want to watch it with us, it's on YouTube. Yeah, I... Shh, don't tell anybody. I, I actually believe... We bought it and didn't get it. That's the only reason I'm watching it on YouTube. I believe in the actual hand of God. This was still too much it's for me. Gonna it's going to be like, a lot. No, that's... Yeah, that... that no, that's not great. And I remember that part, but I did really, I, I don't remember this segment so much. Uh, really? This is the one that I always remember. Well, I think it was because also the nights that it was broadcast were consecutive nights. Oh, yeah. And I wasn't always home. Gotcha. I was off not taking care of my parents, and they were not going to watch, you know, my mom was not going to uh, watch the stand. Yeah, that's but, fair. But Although, what she I, probably should have. Right. Yeah, would have helped. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I remember that last episode, but this one, I think, was the dramatic heart of it. It was really, really lovely. So did you see anything that you want to recommend? Are you going to not? I was going to say that. Are I'm, you going to say that I'm, instead? I, I'm taking, um, I'm not going to be a franny. <laughs> okay. I don't even know what that means. Uh, yeah, we watched a movie today. I'm stealing what you were going to do. Okay. <laughs> you always do it to me. We saw Parasite Parasite, today. which is not about glasses. Parasite, here, I'm not going to say much. I didn't even watch a whole trailer for this movie before we saw it. Uh, It won the Palme d'Or in Cannes. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is making top ten lists across the internet sphere. It is a Korean film, so you're going to have to read. Directed by Bong Joon-ho who's an awesome director, and you should see his other work you as should. well. Mm-hmm. And what I will say is simply this. The title does not refer to what you think the title refers to. That's all. It, it is It probably refers film. to many things. It is a spectacular movie. Right. Uh, but do go in sort of blank slate. I think it helps. I've seen two movies recently where I just did not bother, and that was Doctor Sleep and this one, where I'm like, I, I don't want to know. Right. And I'm really glad because we were watching, a t- what were we were watching, American Horror Story? Yes. And we saw it this week, and there were so many commercials for Doctor Sleep that it would have ruined it for me. Yeah. Yes. And, and <laughs> in, in interviews with the actors, and it gave away plot twists. It was just terrible. And now, granted, it well, was a to book. to be fair, it was, yes, exactly but that. But I went into it blind, and it was really lovely. And I thought that was a great performance. Everyone was great in that movie. We're not talking right. about it. We'll talk about it in a year. I felt really great about this one, too, where it makes its point with a hammer. 
but it's also at times really subtle and terribly funny. It's funny. There are All moments of his where, movies are... Right. They have a horror bent to mm-hmm. them of some sort, right. but they're also funny. Well, there are some messed they, up it scenes. It makes them feel real. Like right. It makes that horror feel real when it's set in a world where you're like, oh, I know people like this. Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck, what's happening to these people? Like, yeah. He's he's a very good filmmaker. Yes, and this is, an, uh, at the risk of being controversial, when people make statements about what's cinema, right? And I'm not sounding pretentious by that, but I mean, there's my that argument. My eyes rolled back into my The argument is recently in a particular group, which I've since left because they were all beginning to get on my nerves with this particular topic. How dare Martin Scorsese say that Marvel movies aren't real movies? I think what Martin he's referring Scorsese to... Martin Scorsese can say whatever the right. fuck he wants. Um, and it doesn't change literally anything. Right. So you can have their opinion, but I think this is what he meant. When you have this experience of the movies where you're just yeah. in it and no. you come yes. out from it and it's like, oh my God, that said something to me. I would say that uh-huh. there are Marvel movies that meet that bar. Yes, there are. There, One or two. Right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. That isn't the... Black Panther. That's what we're talking about. Yes. Um, yeah, specifically Black right. Panther. So mm. maybe Captain America, the the Civil War movie, also hit a really high bar with like, oh shit, that has a lot to say. Um, yeah, and I think, but of, that's not yeah. what those movies are They're doing. Not, it's no. not their goal. It's not their purpose. And so to judge them by that, yeah, doesn't make any sense. If all you want to do. Uh-huh. With the time that you in your life spend on Earth, spend to watch <laughs> movies while you're here on Earth, uh-huh. is to watch a specific type of thing. Fucking more power to you. Like if all Martin Scorsese wants to devote his movie watching time, which I bet is actually not that much no, fucking time. No, I also feel that he's not making a criticism that I think what it is is balance. Yeah. Because he'll sit there and talk to you about how much he liked some of the Japanese gangster movies from the 60s and how much he liked... Well, shocking. Stuff. He liked the gangster film, right, Mr. Scorsese w- did. <laughs> I'm so surprised by this. Please tell me. Japanese gangster <laughs> movies are fun because instead of guns, they just whip out swords and go at it. And you're like, Ooh, oh, what the hell? Damn. Because guns were legal, but swords were not. Yeah, well. Um, anyhow, so the thing is, he will say that. And he will talk to you about how much he loves Val Luton. Mind you, that's really high-class horror, but yeah. Val Luton is still a horror So film. he doesn't have a problem with genre films, no. generally. He'll talk to you about how much he loved Hammer movies. And right. Hammer movies were pop horror movies. Right. What we need to think about is the balance of, this is where all the money's going. Yeah. And so we're just seeing over and over, over and over and over thing. again. And, and frankly, as an audience, we mm-hmm. should want Right. Better. I want diet. stuff like that, but I also want independent filmmakers to get the money they want or right. they you know they need to make their movies as well. I also hate when this movie made more money than the these other three movies, but it and, and it made hundreds of millions of dollars, and we're gonna call it a flop. Like right. then our math doesn't like then nothing means anything anymore. Right. It's like. It's deeply frustrating. It's really... And I get that, because he's like, look, I made this movie, it has all these names in it, all of these great filmmakers helped me put it together, Mm -hmm. I put together this movie that I really like, I cannot get distribution. 
Right. So I can understand being a little pissed when theaters are like, well, if that movie isn't going to bring in literally a billion dollars, I'm yeah. not giving it a space in my theater. Like, I can understand a little being a little bitter. But even that isn't what he was saying. No. He was legitimately just like, it's not the same thing. And it's not the same thing. Right. And it's not supposed it's not to be the, the no, same no, thing. No. There, there, there needs to be. We are a generation of people, rather, the mostly the younger generation, because I was a little bit older, so I can appreciate it more. But I think I mentioned that going with my girlfriend at the time to see Michael Clayton in the theater. And we both came out, thank God I got to see a movie with adults in it. You know, it, there were no superheroes, yeah. there were no special effects. It was Sometimes just, I do like to watch a I, movie where I'm like, this is like a grown-up movie. Right. This is like the most tense thing that's going to happen is they're going to have a conversation. Right. No one's going to get but shot. When we went no one's going to... Michael movies. Clayton right. was a Somebody little bit more than that. Shot. But like, I'll watch... Right. Like, Spotlight. Right. That is a movie about journalists. Nobody gets shot. But when we were watching through the 70s movies, and you're watching, they were rough. Yes. Midnight Cowboy yeah. and Deliverance. But these were movies. You felt it when you're watching it like, oh, my God, that yeah. has so much to say. And, you know, um, Dustin Hoffman's line readings and John Voight's line in, in Midnight yeah. Cowboy, that movie was, you were watching an X-rated movie. Yeah. And it's weird because you're watching it going, how does this get the X rating? Oh, no, because it handled themes. You actually yeah. used to get an X rating for themes instead of yeah, and whatever. the fact that they talked about the gay hustling. Right, they didn't even show anything. They literally didn't show anything. No, and it got an X rating. Everything it's happened. Wild. All the stuff that happened sexually, except for the heterosexual scene, which was not explicit, happened out of frame. Out of frame. And so you're just looking at it, going, yeah. "No, it was the fact that you were dealing with weighty adult themes." Adult That's themes, what did yeah. It. But um, but uh, anyhow, this movie, adult themes. Humor, horror. There are scenes of outright like, be prepared for that. Yeah, Don't gore. Think, oh. I think there were two girls behind us who were going in, going. They, they were having such a good time with all the humor that when really heavy stuff started going down, yeah. they were not prepared for. That. Oh yeah, it it would help to watch any of his movies. Yeah. that's the other thing. Watch is, one of his films, you get a sense of what he's capable of and the fact that. But they're all very. They're all really good. Different? They're all worth watching. I'm going to pull they, up a list uh, of them so that... There we go. He's made 14 movies. Some of them were short. Uh, so The Host was the first one I was aware of. That was from 2006. That is a monster. That is a kaiju film. Right, which is amazing. <laughs> this is what he was... You know, he's my exposure to him. Uh, I don't... Do I know this movie? Mo, yeah, I do. Mother mm -hmm. uh, is... Yeah, so we saw that. And then he wrote Snowpiercer, wrote and directed. These are all wrote, wrote and directed. Snowpiercer, mm -hmm. which is a fantastic yeah, movie. Uh, he wrote and directed Okja, which is a bizarre movie on Netflix. That was a Netflix original. And then this one. So any of those, watch them. Okja, I really liked. It was hard at times, though, because... It's about a subject no one ever discusses. Yeah. And so the scenes of animal harvesting for food. Yeah. It were God, they were horrible. Yeah. They really were, but it kind of and it's the same thing here. He's pushing something in your face. He's making a statement. But at the same time, at no point did I not feel entertained by what was going on. Yeah. On screen. Correct. Uh yeah, he's He's very good. I also thought he did Train to Busan because I 
I'm racist, apparently. No, uh, not racist. So, it's just that we don't see a lot of Korean films. No, because I've seen a couple of Korean horror movies and they scared oh, the bejesus right. out of me. And I was like, I cannot watch Korean Speaking films because bejesus, they don't fuck around. And I'm terrified. Korean films have both the kind of unsympatheticness that comes from a country recovered from a really devastating war. Mm-hmm. It also has both Asian religious... Um, iconography, and Korea is very heavily, South Korea is very heavily Christian. Christian, yeah. It was evangelized very successfully for Christians. So they have their version of sin and redemption and our version of sin and redemption. And they are unblinking people. Blood and real suffering. (laughs) You know, they get there. I would love to see the Korean version of Passion of the Christ. It would probably be unwatchable. No, you don't (laughs) want to see that. Oh God, that's too much. much. Right. Uh, Yeah. So uh, yeah, because I mean, old boy, there the um. Oh, old boy is so Old Testament, right, wrong. Yeah. The film I can't remember which one it was, and it wasn't even a full film. It was a segment of a Asian horror film involving a woman and her fingers being tied to piano lines, and they were being cut off. And yeah, it's just all right. Yeah, that's mm, nope. <laughs> Immediately, I marked South Korea. Off my yeah, we're just like I don't think I can go there because I'm deeply scared of it. Uh, yeah, I there. Yes, the Korean films that I've seen have all been good, very good, and deeply disturbing. Yeah, it's intense. <laughs> it can be brutal. Yeah, it, it's. They're, it's very unflinching. Maybe that's the and best then way to put you it. contrast that with K-pop, and you're like, your culture is fascinating. Uh, also, their food is good. We should go to South Korea. I'm so scared. <laughs> We're gonna get hostiled. I'm definitely gonna die there. There will be ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> really vindictive ghosts, and a lot of good martial arts. Just this weekend, I was listening to an interview with. Uh, the Ree brothers who uh, did films like Best of the Best and stuff and they were talking about Korea and poverty and growing up and basically Taekwondo was a skill that you learned because you didn't want to have your food stolen from you. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's really funny. It's like, oh no, everyone knows it there. It's no joke because everyone was poor and they yeah. were literally fighting over the food that was being passed out. But you out. know what they have? The best Wi-Fi in the world. Apparently, yeah. It's true. Uh, also, some of the fastest animators in the world. Most of the animation you see is done in South Korea. Yes, I would. I would. Uh, if you'd like to see the quality of Korean animation, I would uh, urge you to pay attention to the first season of The Simpsons as opposed to the later se- seasons of The Simpsons. Oh yeah. Well, the where first the, season of The Simpsons where looks the like a joke. It looks like a prank. Right. <laughs> like, why is it because it's so directly ugly? from right. the Tracy Ullman show, yeah. and it it does look like. They gave us a show. How <laughs> ridiculous this is. Uh, yeah, and it's got that moving, that shake, uh-huh. that animation shake oh, God, that I do yeah, not enjoy. You know, there were... Where it was like, we, you know, traced over it. Right. It's close enough. <laughs> it's like, well, I mean, about... it, it, and they do it on purpose. Uh-huh. Like, it's a deliberate choice Dr. that Katz, they're making. Yes, I hate those, it. There were so many... There was, so much bad animation after a while. Uh, I have a friend who's who was into um, was it Dar- Daria? Maybe 
And it wasn't necessarily the animation it wasn't, was it didn't bad, do that. but it was that it was... Uh, it was very basic. Basic. Hers was very pared down. That was right. an on-purpose choice. Right. It was a design choice for the show. But some of it... Yeah, some of the shows, Dr. Katz, I remember, it's like, uh, what, am I, I'm, what am I looking at? Yeah. It looks like, like someone drawing they... over a light box. That's yes. what it looked like. Yeah. No. I mean, the... Can anybody focus the camera? Oh, wait, it's an animation camera. Why is this a problem? Because it is, like it's it. like they do that, uh-huh. like an offset trace right. for each frame. So you've got this shimmer, right. which I don't. I didn't understand. I, the I know what they're doing. Mm hmm. I don't enjoy it. And so I'm like, oh, well, why are you doing that? It's been worse. I could show you old cartoons. Oh, no, I know. I, I can't go back. Clutch Cargo? I, I Did you ever can't. hear about that one? No. I cannot go backwards <laughs> with cartoons, though. Like, somebody just posted, right. with Disney Plus coming out, somebody just posted on one of my things that said, uh, oh, it was Dan McCoy of the Flophouse mm-hmm. said, uh, DuckTales animation is actually pretty good for the 80s. And I was like, I will not be fooled because yeah. I tried to watch... The Thundercats, and holy hell, that is some terrible well, animation. I feel bad because these people worked very hard oh, in factory but, settings, but the issue so is that bad. nowadays I've seen people on YouTube produce the same animation. Well, yes, animation programs on their. I, I can't imagine being an animator who is sixty uh, today, yeah, and not wanting to burn the world. Right. Because I have just be like, do you know how oh, fucking hard I, it was for us to do anything? Some animation back in the days with Hanna Barbera Saturday morning cartoons when they were mass produced, and it's but like it's, they're recycling the same frames over and over again. Honestly, in different though, if you watch the uh-huh. hair, like Netflix has a lot of shows for tele, for kids, mm-hmm. right? Netflix Kids, so right. you can just. Don't make your TV your babysitter, but you know. Right. And it's CG, but it feels the same way, and right. it looks so much worse than if a human yeah. being had drawn a thing. It they look. They they look like we're being punked. I'm like, I'm sorry. What is mm-hmm. this? This literally took. It's like somebody fed an algorithm into a computer, and every five minutes, a new five minute cartoon would come right. out. And they look dreadful. Right. Dreadful. Speaking of cartoons, I'm enjoying, what was the name of it, Primal? Primal, yes. Yes, which is a, a lovely story about a man and his name is Spear. A man named Spear. And his companion, a female Tyrannosaurus who is weirdly small. Her um, name is Fang. Fang. Sometimes she's not that small. A Fang. Uh, yeah, th- there's no consistent size for these creatures, but she is much smaller than a female Tyrannosaurus should be. A female Tyrannosaurus is actually bigger than a male Tyrannosaurus. Ooh, like a burb. Uh, well, because she has to bear the children, yes. so her body's constructed differently. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, it, it's a very, really violent show. And it does have a lot of old-school animation feel to it, too. Yeah. But it, um, But there's a lot of sympathy for the characters. Just it was cool. It was it was exciting. Trigger for warning. A basically a silent cartoon. Right. It is really violent though. It get, is very get violent. Get prepared for that. You will see yeah. lots of blood. Lots of blood. But also it's um it's cartoon violence. Right. As in it's an actual cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. Is that are we Oh did we finish? We finished. Awesome. Okay. So if you 
And we hope you are watching along with us. But I, if you, I hope so, too. Uh, have you any questions? You can see so much of Molly Ringwald's bare shoulders. Comments or concerns about The Stand, we'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook. You can find us at The Latecomers Podcast. We're on Twitter at LatecomersPod. You can email us at LatecomersPod at gmail.com. I remind you to take your medicine and also I do that myself. Right. So I'm, well, I'm practicing what I preach. So I remind you to take your medicine and we remind you better, better late than, than never. never. Part 4 is on YouTube.